Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 13, lucky number 13, a podcast for woodworkers who have nothing clever to say this week by woodworkers who have nothing clever to say this week. I'm Mark Spagnolo, And I'm Matt Vandalist, and I, I would have something to say, but my cat apparently has grabbed my tongue, so if anybody's seen my family's cat, Hamlet, can't miss him, big bullseye on the side. Uh, if you notice anything <laughs> in his mouth, I think that is my tongue. <laughs> the cat's name is Hamlet? Yeah, yeah, it's it's Hamlet. It, I, we picked him up from a shelter. Our other choice was Navy, but <laughs> Hamlet went ballistic on Navy, so Navy was knocked out. <laughs> Hamlet, that's hilarious. Great, good yep, one though. Yep. That's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and we we don't even like Shakespeare, so <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do like pork products, so we're doing good. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect, perfect name then. So, but even though we have nothing clever to say, or my cat has my tongue, you may have something, well, not necessarily clever, but maybe a question, a comment, some feedback. You know where to reach us. You can contact us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you could go over to woodtalkonline.com, and there's a neat little function there where you can leave us some feedback, or you can leave us a voicemail. You just uh, click on that button. As long as you have a microphone that's hooked up to your computer, your computer recognizes it, you can leave us a great voicemail like so many of you have done. And once again, as I'll say over and over, you don't get my horrible brand of English slaughtering your name or your question. <laughs> there you go. Good for them. So, yep. <laughs> and you know, with the uh, the summer going on right now, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but we seem to our our getting our our show out a little bit is kind of been a little off here and there. We haven't been really consistent. Yeah. And I'm thinking maybe with the frequency, what we're thinking is, well, maybe we could kind of like do an every other week thing for the summer. What do, what do you think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, th- th- I was thinking about that too and in general, with the summer, things do tend to slow down, and I find even just woodworkers in general don't do as much woodworking during the summer. So, um, you know, the thing is, if we're doing it every week right now between my schedule and your schedule, I know, you know, with the kids and family, everything's real busy. Um, I think we tend to do a better show if it's every other week, at least right now. Um, right. In the future, when I'm doing this stuff full time, it's going to be a whole different story because you know, I'll be able to uh, put more time and effort into it and actually have better structured shows. Uh, but until then, I think our best bet is probably just to to put these out every other week or, you know, I don't even know if it's going to be like that. Maybe it'll be every 10 days. The point is it won't be every, you know, we won't be recording this every Sunday, uh, you know, every single week. It'll just be a little bit less regular. Um, you know, I know people like regularity. Uh, you know, so plenty, yeah. plenty of fiber. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, I'm like, there's those fiber pills, and then. <laughs> but when it comes to the show, though, what do they like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's fine, and we will we'll get there, you know. But we're we're just kind of. Uh, we're growing at this point, so as we start to evaluate the uh, the audience and the the demand for what we're doing, we'll we'll be able to uh, adjust for that. I don't think that'll be any problem at all in the future. 
Definitely. And, you know, and it fits right along with the sporadicness of some of the emails that come in. I know many of you are, the summertime is definitely your vacation time. I know it is, well, obviously for us too. So, you know, you're going to be away from the show, and we would hate for you to be guilty about maybe missing an episode. So by doing this, (laughs) maybe every other week, you'll be back from that vacation. You won't feel like you missed out on so much. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, I also wanted to let people know, um, up to this point, you know, and this is another thing that obviously the Wood Talk Online has been a side project for both Matt and I. Um, and, you know, we, we really do want this to become a primary, very important thing for both of us and uh, put it at the forefront of our schedule. So mm-hmm. I've been trying to, to, to boost the listenership by including this feed in my original Wood Whisperer feed. So in addition to my videos, my viewers also get, you know, treated with the Wood Talk Online episodes whenever we release them. But we do have a dedicated feed uh, for the Wood Talk Online podcasts only. And I've I've had a few people who email me and say they'd really like to not have the Wood Talk Online included in the Wood Whisperer feed. They want them to be separate entities. And and there's no problem with that. That's I think that's where we're going. I just kind of wanted to include it in the feed just to, to boost people's awareness. So just as a warning, this is the last episode that's going to appear in the Wood Whisperer feed. From here on <gasps> out, yeah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> from here on out, you have to subscribe to the Wood Talk Online feed, uh, and you can get that at the Wood Talk Online website, woodtalkonline.com. And darn it, I should have looked it up, but if I'm not mistaken, it's the feed itself. The address is feeds.feedburner.com slash woodtalkonline. That should okay, be the feed right. address, but we'll, we'll put it in the, the show notes just in case. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, make sure you go there, subscribe directly to Wood Talk Online if you want to continue to uh, hear the, the honey in, in mine and Matt's voices. And you know you do. I mean, that's absolutely why you're here every single week. We know you want to hear it because I like to listen to myself. I mean, listen to Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, You know, and another thing I wanted to mention real quick is the big Vegas uh, AWFS show is coming up this week. Yeah, we're hopping in the... uh, Hopping in the truck on Tuesday and headed up there for the show. It's uh, four days, Wednesday through Saturday. That's four, right? Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday, yeah, Friday, yeah, Saturday. Wednesday. Okay, yeah, that's four days. Yep. Uh, yep. July 18th to the 21st in Las Vegas. So, Viva Los Woodworking. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay. So that was pretty good, Matt. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so if you're in the area or if you're not in the area and you have the means, you know, show up and, and uh, I'll be at the festival booth. So please stop by. Check out the green and black, and uh, check out the funny-looking guy using the tools. I'm not going to be there. Oh, oh, the other funny-looking guy. Oh, me. oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, just speaking of which, where is my uh, my airplane ticket? People, you're supposed to get me an airplane ticket so that I could come out there and uh, spend my hard-earned cash at the po- poker tables. Yeah, somebody oh, out mean, there has to have a connection. Yeah, no kidding. You wow, that'd think. be pretty sweet. But that means I'd also have to take time off from work, and, well, uh, I prefer just to, uh, I don't know. You're not going to get I'd that? I'd probably end up. Yeah, I'd probably end up buying a bunch of tools too. Like, I gotta have that. I've gotta <laughs> <Exactly>. have that. <laughs> that's the problem with these shows. And in fact, since this is more of a uh, show that's geared toward um, toward the pros, I'm I'm curious what type of uh, you know retail offerings they're going to have there. It should be pretty interesting to see. Oh, I can see that one now. Yeah, can you put that? panel saw in my overhead or do i have to get special permission to get that on the plane <laughs> yeah exactly hey you know i uh this is not in our schedule but someone sent me a link and I, again this is something i'll have to put in the show notes for the um like win a day with norm or a weekend with norm yeah 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 i saw that? that did you sign up <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, not yet. That's what I was thinking. I'm like looking at it going, should I do it? I don't. He might be intimidated by uh, one of us being there, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, I'm signing up. So um, I would love that. That would be so cool. Um, that would be. I'd have Although to I did if, see it said what it, it said something about uh, uh win a weekend, but then it was like actually, actually an afternoon. Yeah, just an <laughs> afternoon. Technically, it probably you'll be standing outside looking in the window for five minutes, and then they send you away. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get too close. It is Norm. It is Norm. He has to be. Uh, he he's sort of elevated to a whole different level. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, moving on. So, Oh, let's see here. Actually, one more thing. Again, that this wasn't in our, our little schedule here, but uh-huh. I had mentioned a while ago the po- podcast awards, the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Yes. And I heard that we actually got nominated by uh, one or two people had put us in there. I'm not sure what category we fell under. Apparently, you only needed one person. I don't know who that could have been, uh, okay. what email it came from, but um, more than likely mine. <laughs> but we're in there someplace. And I, from what I understand, I think the voting actually starts tomorrow. I'll make sure I get some information on this. It's like one of those, I'm just kind of curious to see how far we could take this thing as we're, you know, one of the few woodworking podcasts out there. Sure, sure. Um, you well, know, we're, we're really original and unique. So it's just, it's kind of curious, you know, see what, see what we can do with it. Well, let's so. put a, uh, a direct link to the voting uh, in the show notes too. Maybe even I'll, I'll put it into the webpage for a while just until the, the voting's over with uh because uh you know any recognition is good recognition that's for sure absolutely yeah so let's see here um all right well i think we're ready to maybe move on or... do, do something yeah. beneficial to these people who are wasting their time listening to us Nah, i think they need to sleep at the wheel a little bit longer yeah exactly <laughs> no. Hopefully all right they're well, drinking let... plenty of caffeine right now oh i know definitely it's, well i need that anytime <laughs> i listen to this show all right well let's move on we have a uh, a basically a, a show about finishing we had a lot of questions about finishing and we're definitely be doing kind of a, a basic review and kind of getting there with it we'll just work with the email so let's go ahead and kind of get it started with the, this first question that kind of came in for us and i think this is a really good roundabout one yeah that really kind of gets the ball rolling sure and w- what i think i'm going to do is i'm going to read it but i'm going to let you answer it so this is kind of going to be like maybe a jeopardy kind of a thing right so are we so we ready yeah let's let's roll Okay. Uh, Hello, guys. I love woodworking. It's a shame that finishing has to be a part of it. It's not that I don't like finishing. I just don't know anything about it. And I am, you know what? This is from Mike in St. Paul who's starting this one out. I agree with him 100%. It's not that I don't like it. I just, no, I don't like it. (laughs) So anyway, so the rest of the question, I just got one of Bob Flexner's books from the library. But I want to ask you guys for info that is even more basic. Shellac, lacquer, varnish, stain, sealer, poly, what goes on when, what goes on first, what is the basic difference between lacquer, varnish, and shellac, what do you need to do uh, to a standard project between final joinery and sanding and the final product, is it shellac, then stain, then varnish, then polish, Uh, that is the kind of info he's looking for, just in basic terms, Uh, thank you so much, you guys rock, and I appreciate the help you provide for us, and again, this is Mike in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. Well, so yeah, that's uh, it was a great question. In fact, that's what inspired us having a discussion in general about finishing was was uh, Mike's question there. Now we may not exactly at this point answer all of Mike's questions, but what I would like to do is divide it up so that each show over the next few uh, few episodes that we do, we're going to kind of focus a little bit in on you know one or two finishes and just discuss. It. I mean, it is an audio podcast, so there's not 
that much that we could do to teach you other than, uh, you know, sort of say in words how we would handle things or how something is done. Uh, but we'll do our best to give you a basic overview, give you a little bit of an understanding and maybe some hints and tips and things that you, you weren't aware of before. Right. You know, so in, in his email, he asks, uh, you know, first of all, he did the right thing. He's got a, a Flexner book. You know, you can't go wrong there. I mean, it's basically one of our primary resources for uh, for finishing information, so absolutely. But I mean, Bob. Sorry, Bob Flexner is is one of those names that when I hear that name, it's the first thing I think of for when it comes to finishing. He's exactly. he's definitely one of the top ones out there. Yeah, and, and basically, if you listen, if you read some of his questions, I would, you know, and I I don't mean this to be mean, but I think if he read the book, he actually would have those answers. I don't think Bob left those things out of the book. Um, so I would definitely suggest, you know. I mean, it sounds gross, but that's toilet bowl reading as far as I'm concerned. Like if you got to go and you got to spend, and you know, guys, we spend, you know, 10 or 15 minutes in there, you can get some serious reading done and read it more than once if you have to, because, um, you know, the more times you read it, the more of a chance there is you're going to, um, you know, digest the information. No pun Uh, intended. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is what you do. You, to help with that digestion part, you go get yourself some good Mexican food and then you plan a whole weekend about it. (laughs) Yeah. We're, I think we're going on a theme here. We were talking about fiber earlier. Now I'm talking about reading while taking a dump. Anyway, let's, let's, let's move on here. He, um, you know, so anyway, if you, if you read this book, I'm sure you're going to get all this information, but we're going to quickly review some stuff. So first of all, um, and I, I, you know, just to warn you ahead of time that I might dominate most of this cause I, I wrote it, but Matt's going to help me, uh, with, with his opinion and chime in when he can. Um, no, actually I'm going to be working on a project while you're doing this. So. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you five minutes, just set a timer. Um, <laughs> Okay, so let's let's review some basic terminology here. Um, and, and I know a lot of you finishing gurus who are going to listen to this, obviously there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, and there are, you know, uh, differences in opinion, but these are very basic, very, you know, wide generalizations um, for people who are new to finishing so that you don't get inundated with all the details. That is what people hate about finishing is all the crap in the details. So let's oh, yeah. review some terminology here. You've got... Basically, two classes of finishes. You've got your evaporative finishes, like your lacquer and shellacs, and you've got your reactive finishes, the oil-based varnishes, catalyzed lacquer. Essentially, the difference between those two things is the way it cures. Okay, so an evaporative finish, you know, just like you put a little bit of water on a table, a little drip of water, eventually that water evaporates, it goes off into the atmosphere, and you're left with whatever solid minerals or anything was in that little droplet of water. Same thing happens with your lacquer and shellac. The lacquer and shellac components, the solids, are actually in there, and as the lacquer thinner or alcohol evaporates, you're left with a smooth layer of solid material once it's all cured. Whereas a reactive finish actually has a reaction taking place. So your oil-based varnishes, catalyzed lacquer, they all are dependent on some sort of chemical reaction to create that protective layer that we're interested in. Okay, so your oil-based varnish, for instance, is going to have a oxidation reaction where the actual uh, finish itself sort of cross-links and polymerizes um, when it's exposed to oxygen. And a catalyzed lacquer, you know, the... uh, it's actually a catalyzed reaction. So um, the catalyst itself is what causes the uh, chemical reaction. So, you know, basically to go into a little bit more depth, evaporative finishes, you know, we could basically look at the, the, the way it cures and sort of learn something about 
its durability, you know, and what type mm-hmm. of properties we can expect from it. So an evaporative finish is actually a little bit less durable and will generally scratch easier. Um, they also redissolve when exposed to the appropriate solvent. So if I take a, a lacquered surface and I wipe it down with lacquer thinner, guess what? I'm really going to screw up that finish because I'm actually melting that lacquer again. It will redissolve. If you, um, you know, shellac is dissolved in alcohol, and what happens if you make an, a bar top and put shellac on it, and somebody spills a beer? You're... Oh, oh, wait, I know, I know this answer. Um, <laughs> you know uh, that, it's gonna, Matt. It's going to mess it up. Yes, <laughs> yes, it, it will mess it up. So, and that's why we've been thrown out of many a bar in my family. <laughs> well, that more more specifically, that's why they don't put shellac on bar tops. Now, on the upside. These finishes are also easier to repair. A lacquered table that's you know got a bunch of scratches, maybe your keys were thrown across it or whatever. You can actually repair that by simply recoating with a light coat of lacquer, or even just spraying it down with lacquer thinner. It just sort of reactivates the finish and creates a whole new smooth layer, uh, and those scratches, those light scratches, just disappear. Now, uh, the, well, the other aspect is that. Subsequent coats, as you're putting on, you know, two, three, four coats, every coat that you put on melts into the previous coat, creating one layer. Okay, so oh, you can, nice. Yeah, so you can add five, six, seven, or eight coats of lacquer, and when it's all said and done, it's actually only one one continuous layer of lacquer. It just sort of remelts into itself. It's kind of cool. And shellac, you know, pretty much operates on the same principle. Uh, Now, reactive finishes, um, and these are the ones that we're going to, you know, when we first enter into woodworking, we probably come across these more often because they're things like your varnishes, uh, oil-based finishes. They tend to be more durable, um, but as a result, they're they're also harder to repair. So when they oxidize, when they actually form these cross-links, they're extremely durable. I mean, that chemical reaction is awesome. The, The molecules actually change to a different molecule because of a chemical reaction. So they are no longer um, able to be dissolved by um, being exposed to certain chemicals, you know, so you can't put mineral spirits on a cured polyurethane finish and expect it to melt. It just won't do it. Mm -hmm. But as a result, they're harder to repair. You know, if if it's hard to dent, you know, uh, or if you do wind up getting a dent in it, you're kind of screwed because the layers, unlike you know the evaporative finishes where you layer them on top and they just melt in, uh, it doesn't work that way with uh, with these reactive finishes. The layers actually sit on top of one another, and you, if you punch through the layers, you, you've got a problem. You can't fix that as easily. It's a very obvious repair in most cases. Very very tricky to repair. Ah. So yeah, and then that's the reason why we like to use the polys and the uh, the varnishes on our projects because they're very durable, but what happens when they do get a dent and they do get a scratch? Now you're posed with, you know, with that dilemma uh, between right. those two types of finishes. So let's let's first focus on oils. I'd like to break it up into, into three different areas that we could discuss here. And today we are going to focus on um, primarily on reactive finishes. We're going to focus on oils, varnishes, and then the oil varnish blends and talk about the differences applications, advantages, disadvantages. Okay. Uh, primarily here, let's go with oils. Um, now, one of the first finishes that woodworkers learn to love and, and use all the time and have fond memories of is uh, oils, you know, like linseed oil and, and tongue oil. Have you um, done many uh, projects just with oil? Uh, I, I No. Okay. No, I, I mentioned before that I was more or less kind of the uh, minwax kind of person. Uh, actually, I should take that back. I did use tongue oil once, and actually I, I did like the results, but... Um, I don't remember why I didn't follow through with it, to be honest with okay. you. It was uh, it, just a laziness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll go through some of the interesting properties of oils, and, and you might 
you might be happy that you haven't gone back to it. I mean, I, I'm personally not a huge fan of straight oil finishes. In general, oils will absorb into the wood and they polymerize uh, into a relatively sort of soft, rubbery material that, that sits in the wood. Um, it's not really a film so much as it is just a little thin, you know, rubbery layer uh, that okay. has a little bit of uh, ability to repel water and things like that. Now, quickly to discuss the application, uh, generally it's best applied by thinning it a little bit with mineral spirits, maybe like, you know, 30 to 50%, and then flood the material on the surface, let it soak in for several minutes and then wipe off the excess, and then, you know, check again in a few hours, see if the oil leaches back out of the pores. Um, and I usually, every two hours, I go in the shop and just take a look at it. And after the first or second check, if it doesn't have any oil on it at all, it's probably not going to, and you could leave it overnight. Um, but you don't want to leave any standing oil. Um, an oil finish cures best when it's, pardon me, when it's in a very thin layer. Um, so you have maximum exposure to air and oxygen. It'll cure the quickest. Um, and generally, I allow about 16 to 24 hours between my coats. And, and you know, two to three coats will, will get you started with that, that type of a project. Now, the advantages here are that it's a dummy-proof application. You know, the, the other thing is, I don't know about you, but personally, I enjoy the smell of tongue oil and boiled linseed oil. Um, it just, it, it, there's a very positive connotation to it, and I, I enjoy, you know, the way it makes the shop smell. The other thing is it gives the wood a sense of depth that's, you know, pretty hard to, to replicate with, with other types of finishes. It really absorbs into the fibers and, you know, has that property where, you know, people refer to it as, um, you know, popping you know, sort of makes it makes the figure pop. So if you've got a curly wood or bird's eye or something like that, it's it's just gorgeous. Um, okay. You know, and there are disadvantages as well. Very little protection, you know, maybe a little bit of moisture resistance, but certainly not very much in the way of abrasion. Uh, it tends to yellow the wood, uh, linseed oil more so than tongue oil, but it will yellow the wood over time. And and the longer cure times, it takes forever for those oils to, to completely cure. Uh, the other thing is reapplication. You're probably going to have to put another coat on, you know, a few months down the line to keep it looking the way you want it to look. So that's why I say, you know, personally, I'm not a huge fan of of just straight oil finishes. Right. You know, that's probably the main reason why I turned away from uh, the oil. I think I actually put the first layer on and was like, this is really nice. Uh -huh. And then I looked at the at the directions and was kind of like. Uh, I'm going to make another run to the store. Yeah. Uh, go pick something else up. <laughs> yeah, there's just something that's, I mean, if you're respecting a, a film finish, you're not. You're just not going to get it with those oils. Okay, so um, let's talk about varnishes. Now, this is probably where most of us as woodworkers, especially early on in our woodworking careers, will spend the most time working with. You know, to clarify, uh, in uh, what was it, Mike's email? I think it was Mike. He had mentioned something about, you know, apply, applying the order of finishes, and he spoke about polyurethane and varnish um, as if they were two separate things. And yep. and, and it, it can be confusing. It's one thing I'll say about finishing is the marketing on this stuff is horrible. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the terminology and the misuse of terms and labeling is very, very bad. So the more yeah. you know about it, the more empowered you are, the better you are uh, in terms of, uh, you know, choosing the right finish for a project. So the, the thing is now polyurethane in the simplest terms is a type of varnish. Varnish is the umbrella family of finishes. You know, when you're talking about polyurethane or something labeled as a, a certain type of varnish, they're all varnishes. Okay. So okay. When, when, when you say polyurethane or varnish uh, doesn't necessarily make sense. It's like saying, an apple or fruit. 
<laughs> okay, right? gotcha. Gotcha, okay. Um, so there are numerous types of, uh, of varnishes out there, one of which is polyurethane. And what generally makes them different is the type of resin that they're made with. Um, and again, in the most general terms, there's there's a lot of science behind all this stuff and the type of resins and how they're made. You know, the other thing is these varnishes all may have different levels of, of durability, different working properties, and also different appearance characteristics. I mean, for instance, if, you know, you hear people complain about polyurethane and how plastic it looks. You know, right. well, certain uh, certain varnishes, certain higher quality varnishes, don't have that property. They don't look like plastic. They they tend to look a little bit more like a high quality lacquer. If you're looking at like the clarity of the finish, you know. So it it all depends on what type of resin it's made with. Now, for application, these guys can be applied by brushing, wiping, or spraying. And of course, wiping and brushing are the most common. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and my favorite method to apply it is just a simple wipe-on method, just a, a clean cotton rag, um, you know, dilute the material 50% so it's much thinner and easy to wipe on, and uh, you'll apply more coats this way to build up the finish you want to build up, uh, but it's a much better way, to, in my opinion, to have a brush stroke free finish when it's all said and done. Um, you know, and actually, I think that's a that's a good point about you know kind of cutting it down, making it thinner. Because I know myself, I fall into that trap, and I, and I still once in a while will even you know kind of like have to remind myself you can thin it down to make it a little bit easier. Sure, you have to come back with subsequent coats, but right. you know you you still get something that's much easier to work with. Yeah. It just it's it's lighter, it goes on thinner, and it just it works that much easier. You can control it a lot better. Totally, yeah, and and even with these thinner coats, um, it. May may not dry twice as fast, but it certainly dries faster than a brushed on coat. So even though you have to apply more coats and there's more labor, if the final result is better and it still dries a little faster between coats, you're, you know, you're not that much more invested time-wise into it than, than if you, in, you know, brushed it and then wound up with a couple of brush marks. And, and clearly brushing takes more in the way of perfecting your technique than wiping. We all know how to wipe stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... I was about to say something really gross, and I just decided not to. Yeah, so I, I knew you were going there, so I was like, oh, no, oh, don't, no, where's the delete button? <laughs> I don't want to turn back to that theme. Um, well, well, you know, one more thing, with the, the, yeah. like you said, with the technique for the brushing, I've actually found that it, it's almost like a dance sometimes. You kind of have that, like, you know, like one, two, three, follow through, two, three, follow through, Yeah. you know, that, that kind of thing. Not like we're dancing with the woodworkers, but, you know, <laughs> still, it's... <laughs> It's almost like with, when I'm using my hand planes, there really is kind of a, a, a step to it. And if sure. you can learn to keep your arm you know, locked in place and then follow through, you'll get much better results. Yeah. yeah, and honestly, you could read about that stuff, you know, day after day and still never perfect it. Um, honestly, the best way to learn is to find somebody who's good at it, you know, if that's even possible, um, and, and learn from somebody who has that experience because there's just nothing like seeing it doing it, being critiqued on what you're doing, and then having somebody sort of uh, tell you how you can fix your approach. Um, Absolutely. So uh, quickly, the advantages of the varnishes, they're very durable, uh, good heat, solvent, and scratch resistance, and they're not too difficult to apply, especially if you're applying with a wipe-on technique. Maybe not as easy to apply as an oil, you know, because it will start to tack up if you don't uh, you know, finish your stroke or, or finish wiping it fast enough, but, uh, you know, still not too bad. Um, the disadvantage is being that it can sometimes make the wood look unnatural or plasticky, like we mentioned with the polyurethane. Um, you know, and also it's a little bit harder to repair, 
you know, oil finishes, you get a scratch, you just give it a light sanding, throw a little bit of oil on there and it's done. Uh, when you scratch again, this is like we're talking about with the poly, you give that thing a big scratch and you've got yourself, uh, quite a, a difficult repair at that point. Now, right. the last category we're going to go over today is the oil varnish blends. Now, in my opinion, this is kind of the best of both worlds. You get the ease of application of an oil, uh, and you've got the per the protection qualities of the varnish. Um, you can make these yourself. You know, you could buy them pre-mixed under, uh, under a lot of popular names out there. Um, you know, whatever you want to do, either way, it's a good finish. And honestly, this is the finish that I recommend to any beginning woodworker who just, like, you know, like Mike, in, in his email, he's a little bit... It seems obviously he hates the finishing step, and how can we make him like it? Well, the only way to make him like it is to make it easy. And, right. you know, an oil varnish blend, in my opinion, is one of the best, easiest finishes for a woodworker to do that gets you, you know, enthusiastic about that finish. I mean, you, you can't look at your finish as if it's, you know, a horrible thing because the finish can kill a great project. You know, a, mm. a beautiful table with a, you know, I almost said a bad word, <laughs> with, a, <laughs> uh, with a really uh, crappy finish on it is is worthless. You know, people right. will, people will see the finish first and they will, you know, just assume that it was made by an amateur and, and will dismiss it. Um, but if you, even if you have a, you know, not, not so great piece of furniture that just has a, you know, beautifully executed finish on it, it will get a lot of positive attention and people just touching in and, and wanting to feel it. So... Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so this is definitely the go-to finish as far as I'm concerned. Um, advantages, very easy to apply, just like an oil. You, you flood it on and you wipe off the excess. Uh, but in this case, you get the benefit of some varnish. Now, it's a versatile finish because, you know, depending on the number of coats that you add, you actually can go from a close-to-the-wood finish, very oil-like finish, uh, to a nice protective film, you know, if you build up enough coats. Um, the disadvantage here is that it may not be as protective as straight varnish, you know, because it is diluted with oil, essentially. Um, you know, it requires a little bit longer drying time than varnish and uh, requires more coats than varnish if you want to build up a nice thick film. But again, same thing we just said. I'd rather build up a bunch of smooth, thin coats than have one really crappy, fat goober of a coat, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So those those are, are my favorites, the oil varnish blends. And what I recommend to people, you know, if, if you're if if you're really getting into us like Mike and, you know, again, th this this now actually puts me right into my tips that I want to give people just a few things I thought of and I just wrote down that I think are important for you guys to know is, okay. you know, when it comes to finishing, keep it simple, especially in the beginning. Use simple woods. Don't use woods that are going to cause you problems that have high oil contents. Those are a little trickier to deal with. Don't try and tackle those right away. Stick with the simple stuff. Um, oil varnish blends are, you know, best for a beginner. Stick with the simple finishes. Don't go right to a lacquer finish. Don't try to perfect padding shellac. You know, that, that's a technique. That's an advanced technique. You'll get there, you know, but start and master this stuff early or at least get comfortable with it. So, you know, if you screw something up, you've got your go-to finish that you could back up to and say, okay, well, look, if I can't accomplish that, at least I know I can do this. Right. Uh, also, put your varnishes and oils into a secondary container. Never work in your original can. Um, not only will you contaminate it if you work in your original uh, can, you're increasing its exposure time. And, and remember, these finishes uh, cure via oxidation. So the longer that finish has 
open air and exchanged air refreshing you know the oxygen content on the top layer the faster that is going to cure and the the sooner it's going to go bad so quickly pour out what you need put the cap back on and uh you know put it on the shelf and don't worry about it um, so wait, while you're while you're working with it, if you get that protective layer over the open can, that's not a good thing. <laughs> no, that's definitely not a, not a good thing. And I mean, you know what? Oh, it, man. If you do get that, peel it off, and it's probably still good. But you don't want that to happen too often because once you get that, you're you're on the last. You know, you're definitely on the downhill slope for the the finish's life at that point. Oh man, I gotta throw away a bunch of cans. Then. Damn it! <laughs> all those, all those homemade lids. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Aluminum foil with some uh, rubber bands. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, now the other thing I'd like to mention: learn to pre-finish. You know, when it's appropriate. If you're if you're doing some case work, uh, it might be easier to finish it when it's all flat. You know, so protect your dados, protect your tenons with some blue tape, uh, and go ahead and actually pre-finish when the stuff is flat. You'll save yourself a lot of headaches if you don't have to finish the inside of a cabinet with shelves and a back and, and all that crap. That's a that's a real pain. Um, you, I'm sorry, let me just interrupt. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, another one there talking about like the, 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 the protecting everything ahead of time. Um, I think when we get into like the, the the idea of wood movement, yeah. you know, when you're doing like a frame and panel, has anybody ever noticed like when you have a stained panel and when like in the in the uh, the winter in the winter when it kind of contracts a little bit, suddenly where you stained right around the edges, <laughs> it's the natural color, not the not the stain that you had. Yep. And if, if you took this time ahead of time to actually stain the entire panel before you assemble. Um, that way, when it contracts, ooh, you don't even notice. <laughs> no, absolutely. That that is a huge thing I've seen. And you know, my neighbor has a a big brown stained. I think it's probably alder, but it's stained to a very dark brown color. Driving by their house, I could see the exposed white part that hasn't been stained. And I'm so tempted to sneak over there one night with a little acid brush and some brown dye and uh, and hit that part because it drives me crazy. But yeah, if you're doing a frame and panel, you've got to pre-stain. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're going to stain it, um, you don't want that to be exposed, you know, when, when wintertime comes and everything dries out. Right, definitely. <laughs> okay, um, another quick tip, be wary of labeling. I alluded to that earlier. Uh, the labeling on these products can be deceiving. So many things you read will be called a tongue oil finish. 
Okay, and, and they don't mean that it's pure tongue oil. They mean that it's a finish that will give you the results that would be like tongue oil if you put on, you know, 10 coats of tongue oil. And generally, those things are some sort of a varnish or varnish oil blend, not actually tongue oil. Okay, so it, it can be very deceiving. Whoa, deceiving in advertising? Can you believe Man, it? You know? We can't get away from it anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, the other thing, two more and I'm done, and I'll shut up. Um, Oil-soaked rags are very, very dangerous, okay? As they oxidize, that's an exothermic reaction, which means it's producing heat as it cures. So if you leave a rag bunched up in a pile, chances are that thing is going to ignite at some point, and we're talking really scary stuff. And I don't. we may have mentioned this uh, detail in, in the past, um, different methods of doing it. I like to put, you know, a lot of people will put it in their driveway, put a rock on mm-hmm. it, uh, lay it, lay the rag flat out in the driveway and just let it cure for a couple days. Um, I do the same thing. I just do it inside my shop and I just put it on the floor near the garbage can, um, plastic garbage can. And you never have a problem as long as you're one layer thick, you know, but if you start folding it over and just kind of leave it chilling out there, that thing could very well burst into flames. Right. So you're saying don't uh, ball them up and put them with your paper you're putting in recycling. Yeah, definitely don't put them good. in the recycling bin. <laughs> that would be okay. a bad idea. Um, I'm going to write myself a note right now. Remove <laughs> rags or recycle. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear about Matt's house burning down. Okay, uh, now the last thing is a quick tip on determining whether you have you know, an oil, again, this this stuff is deceiving. So sometimes you have a finish in the cabinet and you go, well, I see what it's labeled, but is this really an oil varnish blend or is it really just varnish, you know, thinned with mineral spirits so that you could wipe it on? Um, And that's, that's usually where the deception is. Take a drop of the material and drop it onto something that's like a, 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 that's not going to absorb the finish. So a piece of plastic, a piece of metal, um, plate glass, whatever you have, and just put a drop there and let it dry for a couple days. When you look at it after it's cured, if it's wrinkly, you know, and it's not real smooth, you've got an oil varnish mixture. And if it is, you know, glass smooth and has dried hard and it's a nice smooth surface, you've got straight varnish that's, you know, just been diluted to some extent. Um, so that's a good home test to determine for yourself, regardless of that label, you could look at that stuff and say, oh, okay, this is, this is straight varnish. Okay, sweet. Good All point. right. And that is it for my little finishing, uh, doodad. And, uh, I think we can move on to some more voicemail or email. Oh, yeah, either one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, right, let's well. Jump into the email now. The the thing is, all the emails also pertain to finishing. So hopefully, we'll uh, we'll be able to to confront some uh, some cool stuff here. Right. So obviously, if we didn't cover something that we just talked about, now maybe in the remainder of the emails and yeah. voicemails, it might be something that you were waiting for. Yep. <laughs> so let's move on to this next one now. We have a uh, Hey Mark and Matt. Both your shows are great. Uh, we know. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, keep up the good work. I have a question involving finishing and uh, BLO, which is boiled linseed oil. I have just finished building a tea box, which will hold several types of tea. Tea as in tea bags, not actual, I guess, the, the leaves themselves. Sure. Um, and as and I was, and was planning on finishing the wood with the boiled linseed oil finish base coat and a poly or lacquer top coat, 
Also, a one-third mineral spirits, one-third poly, and one-third BLO was on my mind. So my question is this. Is there a danger of some kind in using these products as a safe finish for a tea box? Do these products con contain some kind of toxins which may contaminate the tea? Uh, should I just stick with poly, or what should I use? Uh, when I started the project, I didn't even think of this being a problem, but I hear you mentioned a couple of episodes ago that the boiled linseed oil was not a good finish for a baby's crib. By the way, the project is made out of white oak and red cedar, and he put in a note in here that actually he was kind of hoping for a prompt response, uh, thanks in advance, and actually I think we, we I, I know I, I had sent him something earlier, because I didn't, wasn't sure when we were going to get to this question, so hopefully, Luke, you got that in time, and yeah. the way I look at this is I know for a fact that when I, I had sent him my comment, I, I had read up that boiled linseed oil kind of gives a, an antique look to a, a piece, kind of a... Yep. It, it speeds it along so it gets a, a much nicer look, which is can be a very desirable thing for a lot of projects. Sure. And one thing I was thinking, I had mentioned to him, he was. it sounded to me like he's thinking about the inside of the box. And one question I kind of posed to him, and I, I've, I've mentioned this to other people, is is there really a need to do the inside of the box? Does it have to be as elaborate as the outside if you're insisting that the, the inside has to be done? Right. So that was one of my things I was thinking. If you're concerned about the, the finish of affecting the inside of the box or the, con the, con the what's going to be contained inside the box, maybe you would then just simply choose not to do the inside. But again, that, that's completely up to you if that's what you want to go. Or if you are going to use, uh, you, you do want to do something on the inside, maybe I would just do something as just simple as, you know, the... Um, uh, the the actual like just the poly by itself and not worry about making the inside look as pretty as the outside because it seems to me that you know that there's gonna be things on the inside that are gonna be covering it up anyways mm -hmm. but I, as far as I could tell though I didn't think that there was gonna be a problem so much with the uh, the the boiled linseed oil because it seems like if you are gonna use um, a, a a top coat like poly it's gonna seem to seal that in. I don't know if sealing's the right word to put to say, sure. but more or less it's going to kind of cover it up a little bit so that it's it's less of an issue. But like I said, my main thing with this this question was just simply the I don't see why you you would have to necessarily finish the inside with the same thing that you're doing on the outside. Right. Um I don't know that that's that was pretty much fine. Other than that though, it sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I mean, in a case like this, there may be no reason. Let let the inside uh, absorb the odor of tea, you know, it might actually be kind of cool. Um, yeah. if, if you put poly on that or any sort of oil-based finish, you have the issue that you have with any casework, uh, the inside of drawers, it's the same dilemma. Unless you've got like a month, two months, you know, to let that thing sit out in the open air and let it off gas and just, you know, stay open, um, you're always going to have a situation where it stinks, you know, and it imparts an odor. Not, and I wouldn't be so much worried about a chemical transfer once, you know, once it has a couple of weeks to cure, there should be no danger there. It's more the odor, you know, that right. it's, it, it could affect. And in something like tea, if you drink a lot of tea, you're probably going to pick up on slight things being off. You know, you know, when some, <laughs> something's messed up with your tea. So I would not want to see any odd flavors imparted to the tea based on it being exposed to that stuff. So my two suggestions would be, you know, one of them is what you said, do nothing, just let it be raw. Um, you know, it's not going to receive much moisture. It's in fact, should be very dry inside. There shouldn't be a problem. Um, mm -hmm. And if you do want to finish because you just want extra protection or, or a little life to the inside wood, um, why not go with shellac? 
You know, a nice Good coating point. of shellac has absolutely no odor once it cures. You know, give it a day or two and you stick your nose in there. You're not going to smell anything. Um, and, and that gives you a little, you know, protective uh, hard finish. And, uh, you know, it's not going to have alcohol or, or water or anything in there that could hurt it. Um, you know, so go ahead and use the shellac. And there's no reason why you can't finish the interior with a different material than you finish the exterior. Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I mean, think about that with the shellac, definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, yeah, can you imagine that one, though? I was just thinking, you know, somebody goes to drink the tea and they're like, was this chamomile? Well, it's chamomile with minwax. <laughs> <laughs> chamomile and poly. Mmm, delicious. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't think they would like that much. Um, okay, we got another one from, uh, hey, we haven't heard from Ski in a while. so uh, this, Ski? Oh, man. Yeah, this is an email from Ski. He's been MIA. Uh, Long-time mailer, few-time listener Ski here. Great stuff. I love the new voice at the start of the end of the show. Very cool. Uh, sorry, Nicole. This totally tweaks the cute factor. Oh, he's apologizing to Nicole because she did the original intro. Ah, um, uh, gotcha. And uh, actually, I think she's back this week. But anyway, yet another wonderful hour of listening, enjoyment, and education. This week's question, I'm refinishing a piece of furniture I got from my in-laws. It has dates on the back from 1924. So I watched Mark's first set of shows on refinishing about 10 times each. God forbid. Um... With my, con with my confidence inflated, I jumped in with the sanders and planes. Uh, I then realized one of the pieces I thought was solid turned out to be veneer. So removing oh. wood, yeah, good, but it sounds like he didn't have any major issues. Um, so removing wood isn't a good choice. Uh, are there chemicals to extract the current finish? Suggestions. Uh, thanks for all the effort you, uh, you both put into this ski. He also says, P.S. Missing Matt this week. I can't wait until you're back on the air. Um... That's cute. That's that's nice of him to miss you. Oh, Matt. thanks, Ski. I'm I'm gonna have to send you a personal email. Thank you. Yeah, that's adorable. Um, okay, well, I would say with the refinishing thing, first of all, you know, he's got an old piece of furniture there, and and one thing I've gotten a lot of flack from various people from is the fact that my refinishing series um, will destroy the value of antique furniture. And I don't think I've ever claimed that it wouldn't. I think my my thing was you've got a piece of furniture sitting in your garage that your grandparents gave you, and now you because of sentimental value you keep it around, and now you want to use it, but it needs to be completely redone to become a functional piece of furniture. That was sort of the point of that episode. It wasn't to uh, show you how to restore uh, antiques so that you could sell them on you know the antique roadshow. Um, you know, the idea was just to make them functional and beautiful again. And it sounds like that's what Ski is after too. Uh, but mm -hmm. if he's looking to retain the value of this piece, he may may have wanted to go with a different approach, you know, but obviously that's too late. So um, his question is about chemicals. Well, sure. I mean, if you've got a veneered surface, you can, you know, strip the finish off with a chemical. Um, there's a lot of different types out there. The, what are they, the methylene chloride or whatever is, is the really nasty stuff. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Um, yeah, and they also have some green ones out there that take a little longer to work. And in fact, I'd recommend uh, recommend those. They don't work as fast, and in fact, they don't work as good. Um, but if it's a little better for the environment and you don't have to worry so much about the, you know, the sludge that you produce, um, I'm all for that. So, uh, especially right. if it's like a one a one time thing, it's not like he's he's going to do a lot of this stuff. Um, right. You know, and, and when I worked in a refinishing shop, I got to tell you, there is a disclaimer. And if someone comes in with a veneered piece of furniture, any piece of furniture, the disclaimer is we are not responsible if we put this thing in the dip tank. And I mean, the big vat of harsh chemical stripper and it comes out, you know, and falls apart. 
we are not responsible if uh, if the veneer lifts, you know, which can happen when you uh, when you dip these things. We are not responsible because you're asking for us to do something really, really bad to this piece of furniture. So uh, <laughs> we can't be responsible for it. So um, just keep in mind with the veneer, that is a brutal thing to do to a very thin layer of veneer. So be very careful if you take that chemical approach. Um, and there are some points where you just have to throw in the towel because if you know if you strip it anymore, you're going to ruin the veneer. Um, but you can't sand it because the veneer is thin, you know, and there are just some pieces that should not be um, subjected to this type of treatment. Um, Absolutely. You know, so if it's not solid wood, you have to be very, very careful. But like I said, go to Lowe's, Home Depot. I mean, I, the ones that are green, environmentally green, actually usually come in green containers, literally green mm-hmm. containers. So um, <laughs> check those out, and uh, that, that would be my recommendation to get the stuff off. Yeah, and usually they have that nice citrusy smell too, which is yep. is a lot better than that harsh chemical smell oh, that just that makes stuff you run is away. nasty. I mean, have you ever gotten any on your skin? That's that's a whole uh, other thing. Yeah, yeah, yes, I have. You know, if there's something to possibly get on my skin that you're not supposed to, I've done it. Definitely, yeah. been there, <laughs> done that, been there, done that. <laughs> Thank God for callus. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, let's move on to the next one here. Yeah. We have this is this is a two parter question, and uh, let's see here. Uh, now, oh, part of it is actually some feedback. So, anyways, let's get right into it. Which is, uh, I've got a question or two and a comment. Comment first. In episode twelve, someone asked about how to get wood at a cheaper price to practice working with hardwoods. On the Woodnet forums, people will occasionally post wood hauls. Uh, someone obtains a large quantity of wood and lets it go for a fairly low price. You probably won't get exotics, but you can get some domestic hardwoods and he says uh, there was one in my area this past spring and I was able to get about 150 board feet of walnut and cherry for what would be work out to about two dollars a board foot wow that's not bad that's really yeah yeah it is Uh, boards range from six inches to 13 inches in width and about one inch thick wow that's that's really nice uh, the wood is definitely in a rough state, and there may be some additional ways, such as knots, splits, etc. But for practice wood, it's a good bargain. And there's enough usable wood that you can still complete some projects from what you can get from it. Plus, it makes some uh, makes me study the wood more closely to see how I can get the most from the wood that I have. Uh, I think that's a good skill to learn as well. Now, I, one kind of follow-up on this for his, his comment before we go into the questions. I thought about this... Uh, when I when I first read the question, you know, another one that I've actually heard people talk about, and I think I've seen a couple people post this on like lumberjocks, is using wood from uh, pallets. Yeah, because uh-huh. occasionally you'll you'll actually find hardwood in in pallets. You know, and I just I know for a fact that there's a little uh, uh, factory down the street for me that I see a little sign every single day that says you know free pallets, and I've I have been tempted to go check it out to see if there was anything worth grabbing. So that's that's another option is you know just occasionally you know what you see a wood pallet maybe grab it. You know, it's a, it's a good one to practice on. Yeah, I think we actually got an email from someone, and, I, and forgive me for not remembering who it was, but they suggested that same thing. And just the one warning, watch out for nails and screws. Um, and, and, you know, obviously at your own risk, but that's a great way to get some free wood or cheap wood. Absolutely. You know, because they made me think about, uh, we just got some new equipment in the lab not too long ago, uh-huh. and we actually, the, the pallet it came in on was, like the really beautiful like uh, uh, finished birch plywood oh, with nice. like the, the the voids were amazing and I was fighting with one of my guys at work over who was getting it and not who wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, let's go right into the question here. It's uh, the first question. Number one, I've been avoiding using oil-based finishes in part because of cleanup and storage concerns. How do you guys handle cleanup and storage of oil-based finishes? Do you keep a can of dirty mineral spirits around for cleanup? Also, I'm concerned about stories I've read where used rags, brushes, etc., have ignited on their own. I like my house and would rather not burn it down. So mm-hmm. I think we really kind of covered that. Yeah, we did. Um, 
yeah, in, in the first part. And I do kind of keep a, a can of dirty uh, um, uh, mineral spirits on hand just for that because I, I do kind of have a problem with uh, I'm just going to use this and throw it away. It might you know might not be the best thing, but I, it gets the job done. And maybe it takes a little bit longer. Right. Well, so. I, I actually keep a small can and a large can of every thinner. You know, or, or you know, finish um, material. So, if I've got uh, you know mineral spirits and lacquer thinner, the two I go through the most. I've got you know the the five gallon or the single gallon, depending on how much your shop goes through, is my big one. That's the clean stuff that goes into my finishes. And then I keep one of the smaller, you know, little what is that size? The little smaller cans. Um, okay. I, I keep one of those full. Yeah, is that a pint? Um, I keep that size available as my sacrificial material that I use for cleaning and, uh, you know, just wiping stuff down with. And I can put my rag right to it and dip some on the rag, and it's not a big deal because that's my cleaning solution. Um, and that's a good idea to sort of have both available so you don't contaminate your uh, your finishes. Cool. All right, let's move on to question number two. Uh, I've got a shopsmith with a small joiner that I inherited from my father. I see that when I've edge-jointed some wood, I end up with a keystoning effect where the training edge, our trailing edge seems to have more removed more material than the leading edge. I've checked the tables, and everything seems level and coplanar. I don't think I'm placing additional pressure on the trailing edge, but maybe I am. Could you talk about some joiner techniques? Uh, really, the only thing I can think of is maybe he is leading it on there. If he has checked the tables to make sure that they are completely coplanar, maybe... Uh, Maybe you need a, a longer uh, a true edge to see if it is. Maybe mm -hmm. you're just kind of feeling it that way. But other than that, I'm still kind of new with my jointer, yeah. so uh, well, I, <laughs> I really haven't had the chance to. This this one, I mean, he, he didn't mention the one thing that, that screams out to me as the, the most likely culprit. Even if his tables are coplanar, if the blades in his jointer are not set at the same height as the outfeed table, if they're higher you'll get this sort of event that he's talking about. Your trailing edge will tend to dig out a little bit more. Um, so like you said, it could be just straight technique, and it does take a little time to sort of get real smooth with that. Um, but it, there's definitely a chance that his blades could be set a little bit higher than the outfeed table. He might need to raise the outfeed table just a smidge uh, to get rid of that, from, you know, stop that from happening. Okay, yeah. Yeah, right. oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the blades are up just... I got it. Yeah, yep. cool. And so the front looks normal, you know, or seems normal, and then toward the end it just digs in a little bit more. All cool. Right. And that, well, that email was from Craig. I forgot to, get to say who it was, but Craig, thank you very much for the email. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Uh, and we go from Craig to Rick, and Rick says, love the podcast. I have a finishing question. I'm a new woodworker, and my first project was building a workbench for my shop. It's made of pine, and I'd like to know what your suggestions are for a finish. Should I just leave it raw? Should I use tongue oil, polyurethane, something else? I know that uh, it's I know that it's a workbench and will take some abuse, uh, but I'd like to protect it a bit since it's made of pine, which is soft. Uh, any suggestions? Thanks. So, what we talked about earlier can kind of give us the information we need to to answer this. Now, first of all, you know, there's a, a degree of preference for this. To me, I don't like unfinished wood in general just because I, I don't like the way it looks. I like to have even some finish on it just to bring it to life, to make it a little more visually interesting. So um, for a mm -hmm. workbench, you know, nothing is going to stop that thing from getting beat up. So even, you know, a really good polyurethane is going to be a problem down the line. It's going to start to look like crap as you get dents and uh, scratches in it. So you've got two choices as far as I'm concerned. You either... Put a polyurethane on it, hope for the best, you know, hope that it resists scratching as much as possible. And then, you know, five years down the line, if you want to refinish it, you're probably looking at scraping it down and starting over from scratch. Or right. you go with sort of just a oil finish, 
you know, where you actually uh, take the boiled linseed oil or something like that and slather it all over the surface. That's going to bring it to life. It'll give it a little color, a little bit of moisture resistance. Not going to protect it at all, you know, really, maybe a little bit, but not much. Um, it'll stop, you know, it'll help stop glue from sticking to it and things like that. But you're looking at reapplying it once in a while just to, to keep it alive. But man, it sure is easy if you dent or scratch. Uh, the table will look better, or the, the yeah, the, the workbench will look better over time. Uh, simply because, you know, because because it's it's so repairable, you could hide those scratches very easily. Right. Um, but personally, again, just like the same conclusion we came to earlier, for me, the easiest thing is the oil varnish mixture. And I would probably lean a little heavier on the oil because I don't necessarily want a huge uh, film on it. I want something that's still repairable down the line that I don't have to completely remove in order to recoat. So I would say uh, oil varnish mixture is my vote. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I like the idea of it just being raw, uh, but I'm concerned about in, in certain situations, that depending on the climate of your shop, the the wood could really start to dry out way too much if you really think about it, especially yeah, pine. That's true. You know, you can start cracking and splitting. Um, here's a fun idea. Cover it with wax. See what the hell happens then when you go to do the hand plane on it or, <laughs> you know, you don't put you know, secure your uh, thing down. Yeah, you'll go flying across the room. But, you know, I, I, I like your idea of the of the oil and everything. I, it's easy to repair, and it just it does kind of it, – it gives it that moisture and everything and, and the look and the fact that it does – yeah, it would work out great. So yeah. definitely and, some sort of oil mixture. Right, and it's just a little protection. You know, not a lot because protection means more work later in removing that finish. You know, you don't necessarily want to just plop another layer of poly on, on, on top of a dented, scratched layer of poly, you know. So I think it's just right. a, good, a good compromise. Yep, definitely. Sweet. All right. Well, you know what? I think we have uh, some voicemails this week, don't we? Yes, we do. And uh, we have- since we're short on time, let's, uh, let's see if we could just blow through these. We only got three, so let's uh, Okay, let's, let's do the first one then. Hammer them out. Here we go. All right. I was calling to ask um, a couple of What qu- would be nice is if I didn't start in the middle of the voicemail. <laughs> let's start at the beginning. Uh, we already know what he's saying. Hello, Matt and Mark. This is Victor Hubbard in Pasco, Washington, and I was calling to ask a couple of questions, actually. I have one for Matt. The first question for him is uh, about a Stanley Multiplane, uh, the number 45. I procured a couple of those a couple of months ago at an auction. They came without knives. I do happen to have a um, complete set, and so I could fabricate those, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on fabrication, what metal I should use, and any tips I uh, might need to go about doing that. And the second question is for Mark. Well, let's see. Do you have a que- an answer for him on that one? Wow. Fabricating his own bl- knives. That, that's, that's pretty crazy, that's, huh? Yeah, that's, that, that's definitely for the, woodsmith, or the uh, blacksmith show, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not really sure what the, how to answer that. Uh, I saw I, the Woodwright shop. Uh, isn't that the Roy Underhill? Yeah. I saw him take an old lawnmower blade and chop it down to make his own plane at using that steel. And yeah, it was the coolest thing I ever saw. So if you want to get into that thick, that's available to you. Just go find an old uh, lawnmower blade. Definitely, you know. And there, there's <laughs> there's one of the guys at, at, at Lumberjocks who actually makes his own hand planes, and his, and he uses I can't remember what metal he uses. Um, 
well, you know what, Vic, I'm going to have to get back with you on this one because I'll look this up for you. I, I know I definitely have the information. Cause, I mean, the, a lot of the ones are like uh, A2 steel, O1 steel, but I don't yeah. know you know how readily available that is wow. um wow that just good luck with that <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's ambitious man what well, just go buy yeah. one dude what are you doing no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah you know, <laughs> vic drop me a line and i will make sure i get back with you for a question uh, for an answer for this because i'm, cool. I'm kind of I, I, i'd like to see how this goes yeah definitely well keep us posted vic and hopefully you'll get some yeah, good advice and, and be able to do it so uh Sweet. let's move on to question two and concerns your uh, dust collection system uh the six inch pipe you're using did you use uh, uh, blast gates at six inches or did you drop down to four inch blast gates um, and then uh, before it went to your machines and other than that that's great I love your uh, show uh, it's phenomenal uh, it's cutting edge and unbelievable anyway you guys have a great night and talk to you later bye Okay, um, dust collection system, six inch. Uh, all my blast gates are six inch, and they are uh, six inch inner diameter, meaning they go around the uh, sewer and drain six inch pipe that I have. I got them directly from Clearview, the same company that makes my uh, dust collection system, the Cyclone, and um, they're so, the whole system is sort of built around using that specific type of sewer and drain pipe, so it fits perfectly on that material. Um, nothing wrong with doing a blast gate at four inches. The question is, do you want the blast gate higher in the run or do you want it at each machine? Convenience says, put it at each machine. Um, for me, I just figured why not? If I can, you know, when I put my hand up, I can reach, you know, six to seven feet high. So why not put it up there, uh, and have the, uh, when I want to close it off, close it off further back in the line and hopefully result in, in a better, uh, you know, overall dust collection. Um, don't know if that's the case, but either way, I, I use the six inch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right, so now we've got a question from Gavin, and um, Gavin's voice scares the crap out of me. Ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Go for it. Okay. Hey, Mark and Matt. Uh, this is Gavin calling from uh, Hayden, Idaho, with some questions on integrating my router into the right extension of my table saw. Uh, I've seen such systems used by David Marks on Woodworks and have seen a variety of third-party add-ons like from Rockler and Benchdog, etc. At the present time, I have a uh, stock 52-inch uh, extension table that I got from my saw stop table saw, and that table has a laminated 3-quarter-inch uh, thick top with 1x2 support bracing underneath it. I checked it with my straight edge, and it's pretty darn flat. I haven't cut into it yet, and the edges are all laminated, so I don't know if the substrate is plywood or particle board or MDF, whatever. And the router plate that I currently have in my uh, shop-built router table is a Rousseau 3 8 thick uh, phenolic plate that's currently sitting in 1.5-inch thick laminated MDF. My concern is that once I create the rabbit for the base plate, there's only going to be 3 8 inch of material left to support it. And do you think that's sufficient? Uh, should I put a backer piece of MDF or plywood glued and screwed under this area of the table for more support, or is that simply overkill? Also, I'd like to get your opinions on adding a miter track to the router table. Uh, I've got one on my current table, but really I've only needed it a couple of times and was wondering if you felt it would be a mistake to leave this out since it would require me to grind some grooves in the fence rails to allow the uh, miter bar to pass through. Anyway, I'm looking to free up some shop space, perhaps for some future tools, uh, if I can afford them after getting the saw stop. And I look forward to your opinions on this. I uh, love the podcast. Uh, it keeps my commute to work uh, interesting. And keep up the great work. Thanks. 
He sounds like God. Like I would imagine <laughs> how God would sound if he was angry at me. Yeah, Mark, I don't know what you're. <laughs> um, but uh, okay, well, Gavin, what I would say here is, you know, it it is flat now. You know, he says the uh, extension table is flat, but I think the the real issue is whether it's going to sag. You know, when he puts that weight in it, the three eighths, you know, remaining material he has after he makes the rabbit. Well, I mean, it's probably like a particle board material, you know, so it's probably not super strong. I would try to reinforce that somehow, even if it means just putting a big, you know, piece of uh, plywood, a big square chunk of plywood up there and then cutting out the opening and having that extra support. Um, It can't hurt to do that, you know, just in case, as long as he could still fit that base in there, uh, the router table uh, insert in there without that being a problem, I say, yes, please reinforce it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, and the way most of those things are built, they're sort of like half a torsion box is the way most outfeed table extensions are made. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and given that type of construction, it should be able to hold the weight of a plate and a router. Um, you know, but eh, it's, it's one of those things, you know, and I, I, but I think he, I think he'll be okay if he just reinforces the opening a little bit. Now I would also say, what do you think about the miter slot? On a router table, uh, um, I don't. You know what? Um, the one I have at the moment, I, I don't really use it that often. Yeah. Um, pretty much everything I do is with with the fence, and I've even noticed that some of those uh, the sleds that they have. I mean, they, they don't really use a, the a miter slot. They more or less kind of ride up against the fence. So I, right. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried about one to be honest. Yeah, and honestly, me neither. Um, I think I. I don't think I've ever used mine, and and the reason is you, you think about the router bit. The reason you have a slot in a table saw is because the slot is parallel to the blade, and the blade is, or I'm sorry, yeah, parallel to the blade as well as parallel to the right. fence, and then and the fence is never not parallel, at least intentionally. Um, you know, so you you can take advantage of that slot. A router bit is a circular thing, so you can have that fence tilted any direction you want and still get perfect, you know, reference points by running your piece across it because you you right. don't have to conform to any sort of shape or anything. So, um, a miter slot is, you know, in most cases not necessary. So right, in, absolutely. In his case, I would say if he's got to cut through his bars, you know, like the uh, the support bars on the side it sounds like i would say don't do it you know but if if cutting the slot ahead of time you know if it doesn't do any damage to to his bars um then go ahead and cut it ahead because what can it hurt to do it um right you know but in in most cases i would say i mean take take your experience uh you know as a lesson if you haven't had to use it then uh then don't worry about it don't sweat it I mean, I don't think even if you had something that you wanted to use that slot on, I can't think of a, a a way that you couldn't come up with some other alternative way of doing it. Right. You know, the way I see it, keep it simple. Keep it as simple as possible. Yep. Yeah. If you if you haven't had to use it in the past, I don't see necessarily why you absolutely to have it now. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And um, you know what? I'm not even sure that we have time for this last voicemail, so we will have to push that till. Uh, till next week. Uh, that so, sounds good. Yeah. Sorry, Kaleo, but um, he's uh, he's in Australia and he's going to some Australian woodworking school. And I think he did a shop tour on Lumberjocks when we had that competition, if I remember correctly. So, um, oh, nice. Yeah. So he's got a good question, and we'll put that off till till next week or absolutely two weeks so from we'll, now, depending on how we do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's say the two weeks from now, and w- w- everybody can look forward to this with bated breath to hear what Kaleo has to say. There you go. And and I'm going to be leaving on Tuesday and, and probably gone until Sunday, so the chances of us putting a show out next week are 
uh, slim to none. Right, and I'm going to be pouting at home because nobody sent me my airline ticket. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> me, 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 me. Anyway, hey, well, well quick, go ahead. quick follow up for uh, for Vic. I did find the uh, the uh, website I was thinking of. It's philsville.co.uk, and he has actually made uh, some hand planes on there. And he goes step by step, and he even shows the metal that he used. Cool. So I'll make sure to throw that in the show notes. Um, that was what I was kind of doing when I was off to the side. There you go. <laughs> well, hey, at least you're making yourself useful. Yeah, once in a while. So, anyway, so, all right. Well, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, feedback, what have you, um, you know where to get hold of us. That's woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail. Uh, and we promise we won't put yours off the, the next week. Well, maybe not. But uh, you can uh, send that to woodtalkonline.com. Uh, click on the voicemail and uh, you can send us a voicemail. Sounds good. And uh, for those of you going to the show, I will see you there. And Matt, I will talk to you in a couple weeks. All right, we'll have fun for all, right. all of us. All right, brother. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. See ya. See you later. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.